Hey everybody, welcome to season two, episode two of In The Weeds podcast. It's been a stuttery start to season two due to the world being upside down and current events. So next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. This week I have Laura Varner on and if you can see by the bio of the episode, he's an absolute expert in in the field of children's education in food. Uh, something I've been really focusing on uh, with having three-year-old girls so I think what's more important than than trying to educate ourselves and into making sure that we can give the next generation uh, an even more healthier lifestyle so I think it's a really interesting chat this and and something that is close to my heart and really important so I hope you enjoy it thanks so what's this um, uh, my little are, you, are you growing cress do you like growing your food? Whoa. Do you like growing food? Yeah. What else do you want to grow? In the tomatoes. Tomatoes, okay. What Let- else? Lettuce. Lettuce, nice. What about tomato? And then weed Okay. Do you like veg? Yeah. Where does the veg come from? Outside. Outside. Oh, that's good. What else are we growing outside? Um, what else? Yep. And porridge. Or porridge. We're growing. I don't think we're growing the porridge. Are we getting courgettes? Yeah. Yeah. By the porridge. And what about onions? Oh, yeah, in the park. Yeah, where did they come from? I want to go to the park. Do you want, well to, do you want to see the vegetable patch? Do we like kale? Kale's a big one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You like kale? They're just growing. They're growing, yep. In the ground. Soil, exactly. That's where the food comes from. Yep. Yeah, and... Okay, well, thanks thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Obviously, I first came about you when I seen you in the Restaurant and Marketeer conference where you did a, a talk on toddlers eating and stuff. And obviously, I found that extremely interesting at the time. Um, obviously, it's kind of reminates me with having two young girls as well. So I've, I've been looking into that a lot. So it's great to have you on. Can you just give a little brief insight into who you are for people who are listening? So, hey, uh, I'm Laura. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, originally from Estonia, but, um, but where I actually got interested in uh, toddlers eating and, and looking into uh, why uh, children eat what they eat as adolescents and uh, and how parents should approach it, approach it was uh, when I was studying in uh, Denmark. I went to Copenhagen University and I studied food innovation and health there. And um, and what we researched a lot was like first of all like why people 
uh, eat what they eat, like what what really makes uh, makes the preferences, uh, if I can put it that way, and uh, and and like from from uh, from babies to adolescents, what are the what are the main points to to look at and to for for the developing kids, like when they're developing the taste, what what are the main main aspects to for the parents to keep an eye on and uh, I, I did my thesis on the topic of, uh, of sensory education uh, and uh, how sensory education uh, can help open uh, up children's palate and uh, uh, and actually affect uh, what they eat and uh, my study was on the verbalization of their taste preferences so what I did was I uh, I did a little study. Uh, so uh, I I did like a baseline um, test, and after after the sensory education test, so the children had to uh, describe the sensory elements of different foods uh, with their own word, words. So they had to describe the taste, the texture, the smell, um, the appearance, the so on, so on of uh, different food items. Then they actually participated in a week-long uh, sensory education. Um, uh, like it was a theme week, where for one whole week they didn't have any other classes than just uh, sensory education. So I was teaching them how to describe food, but there were other people who were, you know, going out to the forest with the kids to like look at what are the edible uh, plants in the forest. They had math lesson where they were playing with, uh, uh, with food, like using different novel food items to you know, you know, uh, learn about calculation or division and, and stuff like that. They, they had a home economics class where they learned how to make mayonnaise. Um, like smaller kids were, using dried fruits for example to learn about different shapes and so on so it was like this immersive week of sensory education for the kids and it was actually part of um, a larger project in Denmark called a taste for life have you heard of it no I haven't heard of it no uh, the project aim is to uh, develop like study materials for schools uh, that uh, the home economics teachers can use to um, uh, basically teach children about taste. Uh, so kind of sensory education, right? And, uh, and the week uh, where I also wrote my thesis about was uh, to test all of the methods that could possibly you know, go into the study material. And anyway, uh, the kids had uh, the one full week of sensory education. And after that, I also tested how they um, described the foods. And actually, uh, what my, my hypothesis was that if you teach them to pay um, or like yeah, guide them to pay more attention to, you know, different sensory elements of the food, not just like the hedonic uh, adjective, adjective. So like, you know, yum or yuck, but if you actually guide them to pay attention, like how does it actually taste? What sound does it make, you know, when you bite into it? 
what color is it uh how do you, how does it feel when when you touch it and so on then um they will uh be more open to try uh new foods and um and yeah just uh be more curious and anyway uh so before and after i uh i tested them to to see if uh, if they actually would be more open to describe it uh and if they if they described it more openly like with more different adjectives and so on then you know you could you could say that they actually were more you know interested in in these different foods and the foods that i chose were uh novel for them so they weren't like you know their usual cookies and uh and fruits that they would regularly eat rather they were a bit more novel foods that um, you wouldn't expect maybe a regular Danish kid to eat. That's interesting. So do you, was that in, in Copenhagen? So the, the study was actually done in Pornholm, mm. which is an island um, uh, in Denmark. Okay, okay. Um, and, and, we, and we had the kids uh, of one of the whole school uh, from first to eighth grade. Okay, and did, what, so what were your findings in the sense of what type of foods did you use? Ooh, I, uh, I remember I used a seaweed snack. Then, because uh, like, uh, I knew that probably most of the kids would find it novel and maybe they wouldn't really like it because it has a fishy smell. Okay. Um, then I used a, a rye bread cracker. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think I had uh, some peanuts with that were a bit sh- like spicy. Um, I think I, I also had some weird dried fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe something else. And and when I described the task for the children, I I encouraged them that you know if you uh, if you think like you don't like it that's okay you don't have to actually swallow it but you you can you know you don't have to describe the taste but you can describe the appearance and maybe you can even uh like touch with your tongue you don't have to swallow it just touch it uh so just to encourage them to uh to be open to to you know everything you know when you've i've seen you say before that obviously if if kids don't want to eat the food i mean i know i have one well i have twins so it's quite interesting that they brought up in the same way Mm -hmm. Uh, however they have completely different palates and and diets um which is which has been like a nature nurture thing for me to see one of them can eat anything we'll just Mm -hmm. literally do what you just said while the other one will be takes the mentality sometimes of i don't want to try it before um mm-hmm. even even eating it so it's all on the site that she won't eat it so mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of force you know you're not leaving the table to eat that or something along those lines do you think there's ways and better ways to approach that yeah i think forcing uh is the worst strategy really because uh, it can you never know like what t- what impact it would have uh for a child when they grow up or when they when they're a teenager. I mean, I have seen like uh, from my very close friends uh, 
whose parents were forcing them to to finish up their plates or or that really like also restricted some type of foods that now when they're grown up they they are like literally afraid to try uh some of the foods or or they have like they literally like they vomit when they would have to put some type of food in their mouth because they have so like big traumas from their childhood. So like the worst thing you could do is to force, but what you could do is, is encourage uh, the child to explore. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, maybe the first five times, you know, you, you give this to your child, they won't eat it. They just like play with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe like the sixth time or, or actually the ninth time, because the studies say that you would have to try something at least eight times to like be familiar with it. So maybe the ninth time, like they will, uh, put it in their mouth. <laughs> maybe the 12th time they will actually eat it. I mean, uh, in real life, of, of course, like everyone's super busy and, um, and probably you won't have the time to, to, you know, put that same thing in front of your child for for so many times but i guess it's a good idea to have in the, the at the back of your head that's like don't force it let's just let them explore and maybe eventually you know maybe they won't eat that type of food but maybe they will be just more open to to try different foods in gen in general and uh yeah i think that the worst thing is also that you give up that you just like say hey like my child is super picky they like he or she just won't eat anything so i'll just give them like cereal with milk and you know toast with jam yeah i mean that's definitely a, a, a huge a huge problem i found that sometimes as well if for example if you take broccoli for example i know you've said about like playful eating that imagining the food that is you know a broccoli is a tree so you start playing that it is a metaphor for something else that yep. they find that really oh right oh you know you know they call it tree and then they're putting it in the mouth and they eat it i suppose that's kind of where you're coming from as well yeah so when you it's a really good example then you kind of like it's not food anymore for the kid uh and food might be a thing that makes them nervous right because yep. they are afraid that it tastes bad or like there's this innate, uh, well, foodnophobia is like the fear of um, of eating novel foods, and that fear comes from from that that you you think it might be poisonous, you think you might be it might be make you ill, or it, that it tastes really really bad, right? And so uh, so yeah, when you actually take take away uh, from the pressure of like that this is food, that you must eat it, that this is just a toy, then uh, your child might, might get more, more familiar with it and, uh, and maybe also more, feel more relaxed and eventually, you know, just as an accident, put it in their mouth and realize that it's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, there, there was one more strategy I wanted to uh, bring out. It's uh, like the peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> you can say, uh, put it that way, that uh, children, um, if they see that their role model, you know, 
uh, is eating some stuff that they previously, you know, have have said that they don't eat or they they don't like. They might actually try it. So, and I've seen this um, in some of the workshops that I've done with uh, children here in Estonia. So, um, and actually, like uh, more older children, ten to twelve year year olds. Uh, I had a couple of boys who were like very phobic. They really didn't want to try anything novel. And there was this case that I think they made um, like this avocado banana like pudding with uh, cocoa. So like a healthy, healthy pudding. And uh, he said that he like will never put avocado in their mouth, you know. That it's uh, it's awful, and and all of their all of his friends like tried it and and said like, hey, it's actually not that bad. You can't taste avocado at all, and and so on. And like um, he wouldn't do this in public, but later I uh, I saw that he actually had eaten the whole thing, you know. Uh, so uh, when and this is this has been like documented in in the scientific studies as well that uh, that peer uh, peer opinion and like peer pressure, positive peer pressure in that sense, uh, can make uh, actually children try new foods. And what, what do you think, what kind of age do you think you get to where it's almost impossible to change back that change or very difficult anyway? For my thesis studies, uh, I, re- I found that like the, the age where they're most open for kind of change is actually when they're 10 to 12. Right. Um, or and and that's actually the, when they're most assess- susceptible for for the education. I mean, as well, um, like children get food xenophobia when they're two. Yeah. So before two, you know, they want to put everything in their mouth. Yeah. Uh, when they are two to six, they have food xenophobia because then they are like you know out in the in the world on their own. Kind of they they don't uh, depend on their parents so much evolutionary i mean they don't uh, depend on their parents so much on on finding food so yeah. uh, then they might get uh, conscious about what they put in their mouth and and they might become picky and this is like the most crucial time i would say for parents um to pay attention to you know how they enforce like rules with eating and how many times they actually like have their ch- children try like novel foods, uh, you know, before they give up and, and so on. So, and, and it might be that for some children, you know, they, they will never get foodnophobia that, you know, from, from very little to adolescent, they always eat, eat everything and they're very adventurous eaters, but it might be, you know, that, uh, that they are, they are very, um, Picky is a wrong word here because picky eaters like they they just they also don't eat foods that are like very known, right? Yeah. Picky eaters reject tomatoes and, and so on. So uh, that's why I think it's important to clarify that like picky eating is a bit different than than foodnophobia because foodnophobia is when you absolutely don't want to try foods that are novel. So. If like, let's say quinoa is uh, a new food in your household, then when your child has foodnophobia, 
like they wouldn't even you know they make a tantrum if you try to put put it in their mouth yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's i think like where like if we go back to my daughters again one of them if you take quinoa for example they would eat it and it would take a bit of time uh, and like we've said we've found that when you do kind of just leave it because when you get to three is the age where they kind of leave them to eat kind of thing as well mm-hmm. so like when you do kind of say you know you've got to eat that and that they don't but if you kind of leave them to it and keep the food down you find that she will then just start yeah. trying it in her, in her own time while the other one will just be well eating it it's 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 really really interesting isn't that i've seen you say before that's where mr potato head has come from yeah uh well well mr potato head uh <laughs> uh it was actually in after the second world war right can't remember anymore who was the guy who invented it it was in my TED talk <laughs> oh, yeah. but uh, like uh, i mean everything was scarce right scarce as well as children's toys and uh, but he inv- he invented like a way for uh, uh, for his ki- for his kids to basically to to play was that he took uh, vegetables and inserted uh, plastic figures into them to make like uh, toys and uh, but the, the toy didn't pick off or kick off at all uh, after World War Two because people you know it was taboo to play with your food because food had been scarce. When uh, it did kick off, it was plastic, uh, plastic potato, right? Or plastic uh, vegetables that uh, figures were inserted into. But I think from there uh, came the, the notion of, uh, of in- introducing different vegetables to children. Because uh, then they are already familiar. And then when you take the real thing, you know, you might be more open to try it. Yeah. One, one thing I wanted to ask you is we've, through um, the start of lockdown, it started growing a lot of a lot of food in the garden, so a small allotment. And I found that including the children in that, once they understand mm-hmm. from a seed to kind of I don't know. Let's take care of example a courgette. They see mm-hmm. that from that growing into the plants, and that they understand that that's where the courgette comes from they're much, much more likely to try it. They actually almost can't wait to kind of like see it picked. And then once it's on the plate, I suppose it goes back to the broccoli thing, but it, it seemed, I found it really interesting that that really grabs their attention and kind of starts a playfulness earlier on. Yeah, yeah there, there are actually a lot of studies done uh, with um with the schoolyard gardens uh, and uh, if that associates with uh, with children being more open to trying new foods, there are some like correlations, but I mean, it's always very tricky to run those type of studies, but there are definitely like positives in, uh, in teaching uh, children, like where the food comes from and, and having them be hands-on from like planting to, taking care of the plant to actually then cooking, uh, cooking with the, with the, the plants. Um, another uh, example of, of one of my workshops. Um, uh, so children were in, in addition to sensory education, they were also like cooking <clears throat> every day with novel ingredients. And again, like children who normally were, were quite picky, 
um, and wouldn't eat. Uh, they weren't adventurous eaters. They ate everything they had prepared themselves. You know, no matter if it was like really novel ingredient or not. Even if they had previously in a test of like where they were presented with, I think, 10 novel ingredients, they di didn't try those. When they were cooking with those, they actually ate them. So I think this also illustrates the point that you were making that they can't wait to eat, you know, the, the plants they have, uh, have planted themselves. Yeah, and I suppose that when you think about, you know, when, when people do cook with kids, a lot of it is making cakes, you know, and they yeah. bake. So, you know, and they always eat them. I know obviously there's sweets and thingy, but I think, yeah, there's something in what you're saying because you never see them cook and eat a cake and then don't eat it. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, so, yeah. and I mean, why not, why not then cook just regular foods with your kids? Cook healthy foods with your kids, mm. not only cakes, right? Yeah, it doesn't, it, it just it doesn't happen often. I suppose that's just the thing that it seems more fun for them. However, it probably is, it probably should be done mm. more often. I don't see it, I don't see it a lot in, in the UK. I do think the UK has a lot to learn from studies outside especially like i mean where where you are in denmark they're very forward thinking in in how they look at food and, and especially from a young age i think the uk yeah. has, it's definitely improved and definitely come a long way but yeah i still think the options as well for kids and what's available in certain restaurants and stuff needs needs improving i, th I think um and this actually is what i'm working here um at the moment as well in estonia is bringing the sensory education to kindergartens. Mm -hmm. So in, I mean, it, it all started in France in 1980s, uh, where when they actually started to have this, uh, like taste education lessons in uh, schools, uh, I think it was for sixth grade, where they, first of all, they introduced like the basic taste to the kids, like uh, so sour, salty, um, sweet, bitter, umami, then uh, they were teaching about like food culture, uh, different types of cuisines, you know, what are like, how are cuisines made up that there are always like certain type of rules, you know, that make up uh, a cuisine, how to behave in a restaurant, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and so on, uh, up to like uh, uh, cooking together uh, themselves, like, uh, so this all started in France and, and uh, in, uh, in the beginning of 2000s, uh, Finland uh, took this up and uh, adjusted it to, to kindergartens. And it's actually called Sapir method uh, that, that, um, that they're using. And they, they are, and this is now in Sweden and in, in Finland in all kindergartens. Uh, that the children are educated about taste. So like three, four year olds, uh, they have lessons where, um, uh, for example, they are learning basic tastes. So they have lemons, they have dark chocolate that represents bitter, you know, they have, um, let's say beef jerky that rep represents umami uh, and so on. And they, that they can put like, understand like the basic flavors where they come from then they have a class that 
you know, they go home, they ask their parent, their mom, for example, uh, what are the the basic or what are the herbs and spices you you most commonly would use at home cooking, right? And they bring this to the kindergarten and um, and share it with the, the whole whole group and so on. Um, and 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 they also like cook like simple dishes. I don't know. They make a carrot muffin while they grate the carrot themselves and and so on. So. So these simple, uh, small exercises with food, but it really makes the difference. And, and what is really cool is that after each lesson, you know, they, they sit in a circle and they discuss, they discuss, they discuss, they discuss, like, how does it taste? Like, what's the appearance? And, and, and they always verbalize their experience. Um, and this really helps them, I think, to pay more attention um, to, to the food. Um, and I think this is also what most of the adults lack in, yeah. uh, like, uh, what I've, I've noticed it so much, like, even with my friends that, you know, we, we go out to eat and then, uh, I always love to discuss afterwards, like, like how, how did you enjoy the dinner and what did you like the most and, and how did this taste and so on. And like. Most of the people they can't really elaborate much on on the experience than just you know um, I liked it or I didn't. Mm. If you, but if like let's say we go out and then I say okay let's now you know really focus on the experience. <laughs> how does it smell? How does it taste? Like what texture does it have and so on? And and they are really amazed how much better experience they have. And I think if you if you start from really from kindergarten to teach people to put more uh, to pay more attention to the experience of eating and like to enjoy it with all of your senses, I think it really will make a difference when they're growing up and and also when they're choosing you know what to eat. It's it's sad in a way that it's focused like almost like you're talking about like it's an extra thing when really this should be the first thing that from the syllabus or agenda because it's what they're going to put in the body for their whole lives. So yeah. obviously food on your diet is mm-hmm. more important than anything. But however, you see that, that doesn't happen in, I don't want to specifically the UK, it probably happens in a lot of places, but yeah. you know, it should just be, that should be something that should be pushed to be on, on an agenda first and foremost for me. Yeah. I think to really open up the palate and to have as many experiences uh, mm. as possible, you know, when you're growing up. And I mean, not only when you're growing up, just in general in life, the adventures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's great, these initiatives that you're talking about, but do you not think it gets harder and harder when, you know, especially let's say take screen time, for example, or how exposed kids are for to, you know, things like McDonald's or, you know, processed food that is kind of, because McDonald's make food look fun, right? So you, it's, it, surely it's quite an uphill battle when you have big corporations like this. I know that they project that they have some healthy food, but let's be honest, the majority of it is. Yeah. So how? That's why, that's why I think it's crucial where that's like, you really start with this process from like, when they're as little as possible. Uh, that really when they are growing up and when they are 
making their own decisions uh, about what to put in their mouth. I mean, I don't know, until they probably go to school, right? Uh, yeah. It's possible for you to control that. Like you don't go to McDonald's, right? Or you don't buy processed foods. But, uh, but as soon as they go to school and like they start wondering about on their own, <laughs> then they already should have the, the skill set, you know, to, to make a decision from themselves that they know that like real foods actually taste better, but also feels better in your body than, uh, than, you know, the, the processed crap. I think, yeah. Do you know, does that not go back to the problem of peer pressure though as well? Because they get it from the other side where, you know, their friends are eating these type of things and it's kind of accepted. So they go, maybe I'll go along with that. And that's how it kind of maybe can start the other way as well. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that it's also right to, to totally like eliminate, uh, like, or not, not, maybe eliminate is a bad word, but demonize processed foods. Because that could also, you know, make the kid actually want to try it even more. Um, and I mean, having like a burger once in like a year or once in half a year, I mean, it's not going to kill you. No. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's all about the balance. And I think this is also important for the kids to understand that yeah. like, Going there uh, once in a while is actually, you know, it's okay. It's not really good, but it's okay. But like going there every day after school is not okay. You know, no. like eating real food is the key here. With, with our with our kids, it's like I I don't I I won't set foot in a McDonald's or go near it. So when they when they um they see their nanny, their nanny takes them to yeah. old. Oh, McDonald's, they call it. So they get to go. However, yeah. I, I, I won't do it. But I know, I know the importance. Of, but then yeah. they can relate that as a, as a treat to, to kind of their nan. That's, yeah. that, um, that's issue me. But I do think, yeah, it is about balance. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a, f- a funny study I remember uh, that was um, uh, uh, in the, done in, uh, in the Netherlands. Or I mean, so in the Netherlands, uh, like kids nor, like normally they can't like drink coke parents won't allow it and apple juice was seen as a like a good alternative uh in the in the 80s and and 90s uh for for coke uh so now when the when the kids have grown up like the grown ups really hate apple juice because uh-huh. they they saw this as a <laughs> you know for as a substitution for something they really didn't have like couldn't have right? <laughs> right, right so so these types of restrictions can you know really come uh uh come to come with the child to their uh grown-up life and um play like tricks on the, with them mm, yeah that's interesting and what about where you're from so in in estonia like how is the diet for it young children obviously you've spoken about sort of nordics and stuff like that yeah. forward thinking in that um mm, how about i, th- I think uh i think estonia is in a quite good place um first of all because we uh we have a lot of countryside and and most of the or a lot of kids have let's say grandparents in the countryside so 
So they normally spend summers there and they actually can see, uh, you know, where the food comes from and that there are pigs and cows and hen uh, and so on. Um, and, and also our, we produce a, a lot of the food ourselves and we don't have like huge agriculture. So the food that we eat is actually pretty clean. So in that sense, it's, it's quite good. And what is more, um, fast food is quite expensive here. Right. So I think people actually cook quite a lot at home. So of course, like, the, we also have problem with, uh, kids being overweight and stuff, but it's definitely not as bad as it can be, uh, in, in other countries. One thing that is, um, uh, but still it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, like you said there about, cause one thing that's an issue here is it's easier to eat on, on an economic level. It's easy for people to eat badly cheaper than mm-hmm. cook well. And, and, you yeah. know, so it's, is that the same over there? Well, eating out in fast food places is definitely more expensive than, you know, cooking at home, but then, uh, like, cooking up some pasta and, and throwing like a sausage on the side, that's cheap. So, I mean, but that's, I guess, the, the, the case everywhere, right? Mm. Um, I think what, what schools can do and what kindergartens can do is, is to introduce like vegetables, yeah. to introduce the love of vegetables to, to the kids. So they would start, um, you know, asking or demanding this from uh, their parents as well, because um, you can't really change uh, what the parents eat, but you can change uh, what the kids are asking from their parents, right? So should, and, should we be defining kids' food? Because a lot of people go, this is kids' food. Should we be defining it as kids' food, or do you think there's another way to do that? I... I don't really see why we should define anything as kid food. Doesn't really make sense. I mean, kids are people as well. <laughs> why can't they? Why can't they just eat the same things as adults too? In fact, I think uh, this actually empowers them more. Like if they can, you know, eat the like the same stuff as the grown-ups do. Like if you go to a restaurant, I I really don't understand why. I mean, I from the restaurant's point of view i totally get it why you should have like uh, a pasta and a pizza for kids uh in the menu because it's really quick to throw together and like you can uh throw this out quickly and the kids will be happy and uh you know and don't make any tantrums (laughs) but uh as a like advocate for for kids tastes it doesn't really make sense because like you can make the same food for kids, just make, make smaller portions, right? Of course, like there are maybe, like maybe kids won't eat the same spicy food as the grown-ups will do, but I'm sure you can find something in the menu, you know, but, that you can plate the same way as you would do for the adults, just maybe in a smaller portion. I think it's also about chefs using more of their imagination, but I think uh, the restaurant industry has a long way to go uh, still there. I know only a couple of restaurants here in Tallinn as well as uh, as it, like uh, as from my, my travels where I've seen that 
a kid's menu doesn't have, you know, fish fingers and <laughs> and uh, potato puree on the menu. Right. Mm, that, yeah, is a, that is a problem. Okay, so moving forward, what, where would you like to see things go with in the next few years or what do you think initiatives that kind of can really make a difference that maybe haven't been implemented yet? Education is really the key. Uh, the sensory education is really the key. And I see a lot of countries uh, taking up these initiatives, UK as well. I think you have, uh, can, I'm blanking now on the name, but B. Wilson. Uh, have you heard of this author? No. Uh, B. Wilson, actually, like, so B. Wilson's book, First Bite, Mm-hmm. Uh, was actually, I think, what got me interested in sensory education. Okay. Um, and she she's from the UK, and she's uh, she's running one of the initiatives that is also um, trying to get uh, the taste education uh, to to the schools in the UK. Um, so, and 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 I see this happening in uh, quite many. Uh, European countries, uh, same in Estonia, I mean. And I think the key is to start as early as possible, uh, preferably already in in the kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the children would you know grow up with uh, with having a, a varied palate and you know really curious about uh, about the the different tastes and different foods. Mm-hmm. Cool. What's your current job at the moment? Um, uh, so I actually just joined um, uh, a software company. Mapal <laughs> okay. uh, Mapal uh, Software. It's like one of the, the biggest back of the house software provide, providers for the hospitality industry. Uh, so this is like my day job. <laughs> Okay. But uh, but I'm also uh, working, um, or basically I'm volunteering in this project uh, to bring the sensory education to to Estonian kindergartens. Before uh, Corona, we we were already running the the pilot studies in a couple of kindergartens here in uh, Tallinn, and I mean the feedback from the parents was and parents and the kids alike was uh, was really really good and. I'm a bit sad, uh, like, because it's on hold at the moment. Because I mean, you, yeah, no one knows what's <laughs> what's coming, right? But I think um, if we are back to to normal life, uh, I hope we can really continue with this uh, with this project. I mean, surely, actually, it becomes and and it might open up people's perception. Surely, uh, something like this, it needs to be maybe it's a positive thing in the long run for that because yeah. you can push up how this is going to improve immune systems from yeah. an early age and obviously people's diets where I think yeah. people are actually realizing that how important this is, especially with being able to cook at home and actually thinking on, you know, what's actually going in their food as well. Cause obviously you know, a lot of people are unaware of the sugars and salts that are in, in, you know, what is, effectively classed as even healthy packaged meals yeah i don't i hope that like this time with uh like that we have now and people actually staying more at home like that makes them 
want to cook more at home and like cook food from real ingredients. And, and, and I mean, I think the beauty of, of sensory education really is that um, it can be like, you know, nutrition education, but uh, when you think of traditional like healthy eating education or nutrition education, it's, it's dividing foods into good foods and bad foods. Uh, and this is really guilt-based, you know, so when you eat something bad, you should really, you know, feel bad. Mm-hmm. You, um, yeah. Uh, and I think uh, sensory education, like, eliminates this guilt and treats, like, uh, every food equal <laughs> and, uh, and approaches it from the, the point of view that's, like, to, to be open and to try and to explore and like evaluate it with your own, with all of your senses and with your own senses and with your own opinion. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I agree. And so going back a little bit, you obviously spent some time in Copenhagen. How did you, did you enjoy the time there? I mean, for me, it's one of the, you know, maybe top three culinary places in the world. How did you find life there? I really enjoyed my time in, uh, in Copenhagen. I actually lived five years in Denmark, uh, three of them in Unse, which is on the Middle Islands, and two years in Copenhagen. And what I find really funny about Danish uh, food culture is that they, like, they have like the best restaurants, uh, like one of the best restaurants in the world, and like they have so many. I think you you don't you ha- you need to have like more than one lifetime to visit all the restaurants there that are, you know, visit worthy. Um, but then like the everyday uh, palate or the everyday foods that people eat, they're quite bland. So, so like for every breakfast, you would have like dry oatmeal with milk and some sugar and raisins. For <laughs> lunch, you have, you know, rye bread with different toppings. And for dinner, you have potatoes with pork. Yeah. And that's like a, a regular Danish diet. Like, um, so for me, this was really controversial and funny that like they, they are like the center of culinary innovation. And I mean, Copenhagen University was such an awesome place to study because um, at the time the, the Nordic Food Lab was in the same building. Yeah. And I mean, the... Uh, the head chef of uh, Nordic Food Lab, Roberto Fiora, was also uh, like giving lectures to us, and also we had some um, practical lessons with him. So I mean, it was super cool, uh, and we could see like what what uh, awesome projects they're working on. Uh, so yeah, I think I think it was a really controversial um, impression that it left left on me. But uh, I would definitely want to, as I was living in Copenhagen uh, as a student, you know, I didn't have all the funds to eat in all of those restaurants. So I have, I have been um, thinking for a long time already that, like, I would really want to go back and live there a couple of years more now when I'm, you know, an adult. <laughs> for sure. I think it's a great way of life, though, especially with the, the how the city's set up with bikes. I can see yeah. a a UK cities now are trying to re- replicate that because mm-hmm. realizing how important it is for open spaces and people thing is, I, I think um, 
what's the restaurant called? I think it's based. Do you know that one? Based, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The pizza place. Yeah, next to uh, it's Mirabel, isn't it? The the bakery in the corner. Yeah. That that's one of my favorite restaurants. That. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the pizza is amazing. They've got a bit of everything. Yeah, pizza and do the charcuterie. Yeah, it's yeah. Every, every little bit of uh, the best food I like is uh, is on yeah. that street. It's a cool um, neighborhood as well, but yeah, it's not cheap. I mean, yeah. Uh, with my previous uh, like job in in the restaurants, uh, I was the head of R and D in the best restaurant group here in uh, uh, in Estonia, and then I had uh, the chance to eat around uh, all over the world in really good restaurants, and I had a chance to also eat at Geranium. Yeah, uh, it was a it was good. It was a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, most of the foods were plant based. Yeah. And you know the flavor that that was in like these small bites it was yeah. it was really amazing yeah. Yeah, I've, eat, I've eaten at uh, Noma. I haven't eaten mm-hmm. there, but Noma was the same. And again it was like 80% plant-based fish yeah. a lot. I mean, you must have had like 17 courses I think it was, but you came out feeling light, didn't feel over yeah. with there was a lot of not not very carb-based or it was good. Yeah. It was really good. Really good. Um, yeah, same in uh, in Geranium. Although I I must say that there was too much wine. Okay, no, same. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah, <laughs> we, we went at lunch and it was yeah too much wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just finally, I mean, is there anything else you want to bring up that we haven't spoke about on the sensory aspect? I just. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I just w- would like to um, say once more then that, like, for the parents that just be be open with their kids and have them like explore and actually like literally have them play with the foods. I know it makes a lot of mess, <laughs> but hopefully in the long run it actually makes a difference. You know. Do you do you think you should should the parents be playing with them with the food or leave them to play? You know, like making shapes out of the food, or you know. Uh, yeah, that that uh, that was a really cool initiative. Uh, food designer Marie Vogelskang uh, did on their uh, kids' birthday. Like uh, they were making uh, jewelry out of uh, different vegetables. Like so, they were using their teeth to carve, you know, rings out of uh, cucumbers or making earrings out of radishes and so on. Like, um, if you Google it, you see the cute pictures. <laughs> um, I think that's, yeah, if you can think, uh, come up with different games your kids can play, I mean, that's really cool. Uh, then, then just, you know, like going, digging uh, elbow deep into their pasta plate. <laughs> Did they, eat, did they eat them? At, you know, after they made them into jewelry, yeah. did they then eat them? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's you should be make like spectacles and stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they. Uh, I think they also made spectacles. Yeah, yeah. if I remember correctly from the picture. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, just get creative, uh, and I guess children are the best also to uh, show the lead in being creative, right, with uh, the games they can play. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah. I think everyone needs a bit of fun right now. 
So yeah. it'd be fun. Um, Anneli, so how is, how do you, you know, how do you think things in, um, I know we spoke about it a little bit at the start before we recorded, but how are things in Estonia regarding um, COVID and things like that? Um, I think we are, it's getting worse again, but uh, as we are a really small country, we are at at an advantage that we can uh, curb the, the spread of the virus a bit better. Um, but then again, we have to be really careful. I mean, the schools are open again, and, uh, and 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 people don't really care about the restrictions. So most of the infections happen either at schools or then you know at parties, uh, not specifically in restaurants or bars, but at like parties that are happening in people's homes. Yeah. So um, so yeah, um, I hope we won't go into full lockdown again. Um, because, like, I think the worst thing was that you couldn't go out to eat in restaurants. Mm-hmm. I remember when, like, they opened up the places again. We went we went to our favorite tap room with, like, Amer- American barbecue. And we were sitting with my uh, boyfriend and just, you know, oh, you know, the feel, the, the sound of, like, people talking around and, like, uh, people eating. And, you know, you hear the sounds from the kitchen and... It was like so good. <laughs> um, that that I really really missed, like going out, and I hope like we can continue doing that. Yeah, hopefully, I'm sure it'll come. It's just what went, and just yeah, I... just sorry, just lastly, I just wanted you because you used to work in in Estonia. Is it Sigor restaurant? Is it? Am I saying yeah, that? Sigor, yeah, Sigor restaurant. <laughs> And how was your time with them? Because they, they've got some really nice venues. Yeah. Um, it was really fun times. Um, I When I joined three years ago, um, I, initially I started as, a, like, I joined as a product developer, basically, to help the, the head chef uh, with the creating, like, new menus, new dishes, researching on, like, different techniques and so on. But as as the organization was quite young, I mean, they had quickly opened five restaurants and they didn't have any, they hadn't have any uh, time to really build, you know, the organizational structure. Mm. Uh, What I actually ended up doing was like creating structure in the mess (laughs) because they, uh, they were three owners and 150 employees Uh. and five, and five restaurants. So, so I was actually building up the organization most of the time when I was there. And, um, so what I mostly did was uh, work, working in the office with some like little projects uh, in, the, in the R&D field. Uh, but yeah, it was really, I, I loved my time there. But, uh, but yeah, um, when the COVID hit, uh, uh, we also decided that... Um, I mean, it was time for me to move on. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Fair, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. Yogurt. Do you know any, is it a Pacific? One of my kids is obsessed with yogurt. And I mean, like, wants it on everything, every day, everything. <laughs> from, from, like, when really, really early age. Have, have you seen, to any Pacific foods like that, a yogurt that, that are susceptible to kids? Or is that just a, a palate thing? 
Ah, uh, it's hard. I, <laughs> I mean, I haven't come across uh, nothing. Yogurt, nothing uh, in the likes of this. Mm. I guess it's just preference. <laughs> Maybe it's just that. Yeah. But it's but I mean, just... yogurt is good. Good. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's great. It's great. But uh, I was just wondering because it's we can't get enough of it. It's just yeah. any any type of yogurt, Greek, Icelandic, anything. I don't know. But it's they... like uh, it's like with Estonians and sour cream. Oh, you really? Um, like uh, especially the older generation, like they like to put it on everything. <laughs> like uh, when I cook, uh, when I was still living with my parents, I cooked uh, Thai curry. And my dad wanted to put sour cream even on top of that. So <laughs> that's how much Estonians, that's yeah. how much Estonians love it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, listen, thanks again. Um, and obviously I hope everything goes well for you over there and good luck with everything. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me, what, Aya, tell me what your favorite food is. Um, yogurt. Yogurt. Why do you like yogurt so much? I like a water. Do you like putting agave in your yogurt? Yeah. <laughs> Why? I don't like agave. You don't like agave? No. And then the big bad wolf Bad bad wolf doesn't like honey. Why didn't you say thanks everybody? Thanks <laughs> That's lovely. I did it. Say bye bye. Bye bye. Well, thanks everyone for listening, guys. It was a really cool TED talk that Laura did on on the subject. So if you type in her name followed by kids playing with food, you can have a look at that there. It's really interesting. Uh, if you want to catch me or got any feedback, it's always on social media, Fazmangos. Um, and I hope to see you next week where we'll be touching more on current events. Stay safe and see you soon. Bye. Try to be nice and experimental. Your lips, love the screen.